Accessing library computer data. Level 9 authorization required. Command codes verified. Welcome to Moms Going Boldly, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. Moms Going Boldly is two moms who love Star Trek and who also happen to have children on the autism spectrum. We talk about the new Star Trek Discovery TV series, as well as any autism issues we see along the way. I am your host, Elizabeth, and with me is my co-host, Vicki. Hi, this is Vicki. We are Moms Going Boldly. Today on Moms Going Boldly, we're talking about Episode 3 of Season 2, Point of Light. Welcome back to Moms Going Boldly. Today we are talking about Season 2, Episode 3, Point of Light. So, Vicki, what did you think of this third episode into this new season? I liked it. Did you? I liked it. So far this season, yeah, so far this season, I've liked all of them. I haven't had much much of a problem with anything. That's fantastic. I liked it too. Let's say I, I, I came away from it liking it, but then when I started thinking about how I was going to describe it, it was a bit of a mess. Do you know what I mean? It's a, yeah, because it's not, even though last season was serialized, which this season is too, but it's, we're still, I think, used to the the one problem, one show, yeah. Storyline? Yeah. I agree. And this, I, I, this isn't. It was all over the place. It was. It was clearly setting us up for multiple directions. Right. So, so we had effectively three stories that were being told. The, the, the Spock story, which kind of got wrapped into the Red Angel story. And then we had the story with Tilly and May. Spoiler, May yeah. is not her spirit guide. <laughs> No. <laughs> but she was from the network. She was from the network. And then there was this storyline with Laurel and uh, Ash Tyler slash Bach. And I have to say, I found that storyline the most satisfying. Canning the flames. You think so? The albino. So, yes, yes. And now we have another candidate. Yes, actually, it's funny you should mention that because I found an article on Screen Rant that was exactly this theory, and so it will be posting on our Moms Going Boldly Facebook page tomorrow, I think. Okay. Um, so you'll be able to take a look at that because you're not the only one who totally clued into that. I'm telling you, somewhere along the line, someone has to turn into the TV screen and say, no, you're wrong for me. <laughs> To get over this. Well, and, but uh, you do hate to you hate to believe that that sweet little baby could turn into the evil albino. But you know, every evil person was a sweet little baby at one point. So, uh, yeah, yeah. So anyway, we have our three storylines. We have our storyline where um, let's go ahead and talk about the the Spock and the Red Angel storyline, which I have to say was the least satisfying storyline. And I don't know it's because we didn't get enough resolution in one episode, or actually that wasn't it at all. The reason I found it least satisfying, I'll go into just a moment. So we have Amanda showing up on Discovery, and she's trying to figure out why Spock is in the the 
mental health institution that he went to, the mental health hospital he went to, and they're not giving her any information. And, and then she stole data from the hospital, brought it to Michael to unencrypt or de-encrypt or whatever. And then when Captain Pike calls the hospital, they say, well, he's left and he's accused of murdering people, which, you know, everybody in the whole room is going, what, what, what are you talking about? And then it, and I'm sorry, maybe it's just me, maybe it just hit me on a bad day, but it descends into this mushy, gushy, emotional stuff that I was just like, oh, please take go away. Now, maybe that was um, just me. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't just you. I think, I think the, the biggest problem I had, uh, uh, and again, we get a parcel story of how uh, Burnham did something. She did something to protect Spock We're, from the extremists. What, well, yes, but Amanda takes her trial and leaves. Because she's not happy with her daughter screwing up the family. No. Yeah, it just was mucky. It I understand that. It's her daughter. It's yeah, still I, her daughter. But if I wanted this kind of stuff, I'd sit in front of the television in the afternoon watching soap operas. Yeah. And this is the, this is not Star Trek. Yeah. So I'm really hoping they ease up on this. Right. Because, yeah, no thank you. <laughs> but anyway. You know, go ahead. again, it's still her daughter. And it's, like I said, it's still her daughter. Um, and if she's intent on doing it herself, then she should have just done it herself. She didn't need Michael. Well, she didn't need her to de-encrypt, I guess, so so she used her for her technological skills and then left. But one really, really cool thing that came out of it was somehow Spock has had a connection with these Red Angels since he was a child. So that was an interesting, intriguing revelation that I'm looking forward to exploring further, but I really hope they leave the soap opera family stuff behind. Yeah. The other um, the sort of storyline that we got into was one related to Tilly. And last episode, we talked about this May character that was appearing to Tilly. That we, I loved your theory that she was like her guardian from the network. And I was very disappointed that that wasn't the case. She was more just like crazy four. Right. And we didn't find this out until Tilly... Angry, crazy spore. Angry, <laughs> angry, crazy spore. And we didn't find this out yeah. until Tilly is in a some kind of a leadership, you know, test that she's doing on the bridge with the captain and the spore, May, is going nuts. She is so unhappy. This is not the right captain. She needs the blonde captain. We need to find the right captain. It was... The only thing that I found disappointing about that was that I think, and again, it goes back to the comment that you made in the very first episode of the second season, which is, where is Tilly's growth? Right. Surely after all they went through in right. the first season, Tilly would know that she needed to go talk to the doctor about what she was seeing. The funny thing about, the funny thing about that whole exchange on the bridge with Saru calling her Sylvia, Ensign Sylvia Tilly, like she, like he's using her middle name, right. like a parent right. would, when you're in trouble, you know, when you hear your middle name, you know you're in trouble. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Saru was great. At her middle name, yeah. And everybody around her did a great job of looking, you know, aghast and confused, etc., but I, I know for me, I was like, Silly, Silly Tilly, you know, if something like this happens, you need to go talk to her, and right. Right. so that part was... I guess it was just a little too cliche. You know, she caved like a, you know, a 15-year-old girl 
instead of an adult human being like she's supposed to be. And so um, I'm, ho I'm really hoping that they'll start to really write her up a bit because part of her charm was that she had this childlike naivete without childish behavior. And now we're getting the childish behavior too. I'm exactly. Not, I'm not really enjoying it though. But she goes, she goes back to her quarters and Michael Burnham joins her there and Michael helps her logic out the fact that this is not a mental health issue Go. but that it's, right. you know, there's an actual something going on and so then they pull in Saru and Stamets and they pull this spore out of Tilly and it turns out it's this great big angry blob. Okay, so but yeah. don't you think that maybe they should have waited a minute to find out what this plan was? Yes. That the spore had? Yes, and find out what the heck Before was going ripping on. it out of her? I agree 100%. Where was Starfleet's investigative and exploration component there? Right. I mean, if it if this spore right. was sentient, this was first contact, and right. there should have been so much more. I agree. They should have said, you know, found out why she was mad at Stamets and why she ha what plan she had, and you know what was going on here. Exactly. So that was disappointing right. as well. This sort of knee jerk. Let's just get her out, get it out of her. And honestly, uh, that was an opportunity for. The whole thing was a little cartoonish yeah. of them getting it out of her. Yeah. And I think it, it was a missed opportunity for helping this character to grow. If she's forced to endure this vision to, for, so that for the greater good of learning more information, you know, then it help, that, that's a growth opportunity for her to show her how strong she is and show her how, you know, right. disciplined she is. And so that was, I think, a misbeating. Well, yeah. Although she wasn't telling them what this spore was saying to her so no, it's she, her missed opportunity she I wasn't agree. really she she did mention that he, he was mad at Stamets but that was all she mentioned about the plan and yeah whatever but, uh, but even so then was going on. shouldn't Michael have then done some inquiry yes. Michael's Absolutely. officer okay so she's mad at Stamets what's going on there you know there, there's just several people missed up you know Saru's got first contact responsibility Michael's got science officer responsibilities Stamets is their navigator and their chief engineer and so she's she pulls him in because she's mad at Stamets all three of those people failed in their asking questions to learn more right and then Tilly who theoretically maybe she's just too inexperienced to know she needs to volunteer more information Right, because most of the time she was trying to ignore it, so I don't think she wanted to go into detail about right. what this spore was saying to her. And apparently, from the um, sort of the preview we get for this week's episode, the spore was not happy about being expelled. I, I saw that, yeah. <laughs> so, I think we can expect more of this sort of spore tilly thing happening because, um, you know, the previews seemed to suggest that was going to Yeah. So then we go to the third storyline, and the third storyline is with Laurel and Vox slash Ash Tyler. Vox, what did we decide to call him? Vash? Vosh? Vox? <laughs> I'm going to call him Ash. Vockler? <laughs> anyway, so we got some really cool uh, Klingon intrigue in, in this particular storyline, and Laurel is barely hanging on to her control over the Klingon Empire, and she's got enemies, and they don't like this human that's by her side as the torchbearer. They're, they're very uh, 
suspicious of him. And, and they think that the Federation is responsible for the red flashes. So you can see that this whole red flash thing is this big arc that's going to bring in the Klingons and the Federation. Okay. And, and then there's this conflict with Laurel and Ash between them because while he left at the end of last season, he left to go support her. She's still in love with the Vok within, and he's still really put off by her because she apparently molested the Ash Tyler body, and Ash has memories of that even which, though she thought it was Vok. Which is, I found that odd. Which part did I, you find so out? So I guess, well, I guess, I, I thought once Vok came out, and he would have all those memories, and even though he's Ash in body, yeah. he would have most of the Vok persona. But it seems like he has more of Ash. It does. Which yeah. I agree is interesting, because when we first saw the Vok reemerge, he seemed to be in control. He tried to kill Michael Burnham, he was speaking Klingon, I mean, he was like in full Vok mode. Right. And now all of a sudden right. he's more... more Ash than Vok. I agree. It's kind of odd. Right. So then um, right. Ash is unhappy with Laurel's uncle and so goes to confront him and then inexplicably Laurel's uncle reveals to Ash that Laurel had a child with Vok. Okay. Which you know as soon as Okay so I knew that nine months was for something. <laughs> <laughs> And we were really hoping it had nothing to do with uteri. We really no, wanted it to be no. nothing to do with uteri. Darn it. Well, we don't know what the gestation period is. That's true, we don't. And Maybe she you do, but I don't. I, I, I like your confidence in me, but I have no idea. <laughs> um, but, but she did say that she gave birth to the baby early, and that's why it's so small, because she couldn't afford to be pregnant while she was on, you know, she was... What is it? On mission, I guess is the word I'm trying to say. On mission with with yeah, Rock. Yeah. yeah. So here we got this little cute little baby that then is kidnapped by Laurel's enemies, and mm -hmm. he then says to her if she wants her baby back and she doesn't want to die, she has to hand over control of the Klingon Empire to him. And then there's this really. What did you think of the fight scene? I thought it was an, another scene that looked very cartoonish. Yeah. Yes. There was something weird they, about it. It was. Especially the first shot when they first started fighting. It looked very choreographed and very cartoonish. I, I don't know how else to explain it. At, at first, I was watching and I was thinking, are they doing it in slow-mo? I mean... Maybe that was it. Maybe they slowed it down. But it down. didn't look right. It didn't look right. And it and it did look, I agree, it looked oh. It looked like people being told how to fight and going through the motions without actually yes. really fighting. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. But maybe they just did it in slow-mo. You know, tried to slow it down to I make it... I think that's what they did. Make it look epic. And look epic, epic though. <laughs> but you have to be impressed. I mean, Laurel and Tyler... They get they they gave good. I mean, they yeah. really kicked some significant booty, Klingon booty. But yeah. they still got captured. They still were going to get killed. And just at the moment when she's going to, you know, she's forced to really, the guy grabs her hand to like do the imprint to relinquish control of the Klingon Empire. Who should show up? Were you expecting this? Did you know this was going to happen? I wasn't sure 
No, I wasn't expecting her. I wasn't shocked when she took her hood off, but yeah. I wasn't expecting her, no. As soon as the beam-in happened, I knew exactly who it was going to be. It was Empress Giorgio, who, of course, no one really knows that she's actually the Empress except for a couple of people. She's Captain Giorgio, who didn't happen to die. But she's working for Section 31 now, and she's all about Laurel staying in control of the Klingon Empire, so she completely changes everything. She, the guy who was going to kill Laurel and was forcing her to give up, she puts him in this floating bubble and Laurel, like, kills him. So, mm -hmm. and they get the baby back. But, I guess we should call her Agent Giorgio. Right, probably. So, Agent Giorgio tells her that she's not going to be able to keep her baby and her human friend, Torchbearer. So, Laurel... Right goes before the Klingon High Council with a fake baby head and a fake Ash Tyler head and tells them that the baby was murdered and Ash Tyler was a turncoat and she's now going to be their mother. She's never going to have children again. She's going to be the mother of the Klingon Empire and there, thereby unites everyone with this emotional framework. And then the last, last scene we see is Tyler on board a ship with Agent Giorgio dropping off the baby on Boreth, which is the monastery, we remember that from the next generation, mm -hmm. and then agreeing to join Section 31. Right. So, you know there's a spin-off in the works for after, yes. right? It's going to be after Discovery runs its course, correct? I think so, yes. Yeah. Well, we've seen Ash in previews, so I don't think we're done with him? Right. Well, I guess it would be really interesting, and this is where I think we need to put on our, our thinking cap, and mm. see how how would Section 31 and these Red Angels and Spock and maybe, you know, Crazy Spore May, well, how would that all come together? And, and I think it's best to look at it from the standpoint of how does it best serve Section 31? Because that's going to be the foil in these stories, I think. I think the Red Angels have been presented as, you know, possible enemies. But I'm wondering if it's not actually Section 31 going to be the problem here. Oh, probably, yeah. So if Section 31 yeah. is the, the antagonist of the story, what are our theories as far as what are they after? I don't know. We just don't have enough engine yet, do we? I don't think so, no. I mean, the only thing that they could be after that we're aware of is the device that is at the center of Monos that Laurel has control over, blow up the planet. True. But, hmm. Yeah. I don't know why. Why would they want to blow up the planet? They, would they want, want to keep... They want the device. When it, so anyway, well, we'll just definitely have to keep our eyes open right. to see if we can figure out. But I, I'm, I'm going to go that. I'm just going to, I'm going to put my stake in the ground for the moment that Section 31 is going to be the actual antagonist in this season, and the Red Angel story arc is going to be interesting and intriguing. But I don't think they're going to be end up being the bad guys. That, that's my, that's my prediction. So, what were your thoughts about yeah. this? And what do you think of the title, Point of Life? I didn't really think about it, to be honest with you. Yeah, I can't quite see how it relates to the story. No. You know, uh, yeah. Not at all. 
Yeah, I don't know. So that's, that's interesting as to why they cho chose that. And of course, you know, you and I remember the Thousand Points of Light speech from decades ago, which is the first thing I thought of. But then there's also the points of light in the sky, which are the stars. Right. So, yeah, I didn't, um, I didn't quite figure out. I don't that. know. Yeah. So you liked this episode? Did I did. There was a lot going on. Um, it wasn't, you know, the one problem, one episode kind of thing. Yeah. But I did like it, yeah. And I, like I said, I liked it too. I came away, you know, entertained. And it was I was engaged and looking forward to the next one. Yeah. So the next one has a very interesting title. It's called An Oval for Sharon. Do you know who Sharon is? No. Sharon is the ferryman that takes the dead across the river Styx to Hades. And an oval is a Greek coin. And I used to put coins on people's eyes when they died so that they could take, mm. so they could pay the ferryman to take them over the river Styx and the, yeah. to Hades. So I'm trying to figure out, you know, what are they thinking of here? Do they, who, who, who's the ferryman? Is that Stamets? You know, is he, does he need to be paid in order to, you know, and Hades wasn't necessarily a bad place. It wasn't like the hell framework that Christianity has now. That's not the way the Greeks envisioned it. So it's not necessarily, I mean, it's the place, it's the under, it's the other world. It's the place of the dead, but it's not necessarily a bad place. So what if Stamets is the ferryman between reality and the mycelium network? That could be. That makes the most sense. Yeah. Well, I'm really looking forward to, to seeing what they yeah. Any other thoughts before we maybe, wrap up? Maybe we'll get, maybe we'll get Culver then yeah. in that episode. Well, wouldn't that be interesting because, um, do you know the story of Orpheus? You probably did at one time. Yeah. So Orpheus was in love. I think her name was uh, Eurydice. I don't know if I'm printing that right. Yeah. But he was in love. She died very young, prematurely. Orpheus was this wonderful player of music. I think he played the lute. And so he went down to Hades and he played for the god to beg to get his love back. And Hades agreed. And so, but the, but the only requirement was is that Orpheus was not allowed to look back to see if she was behind him on his way back to journey to the overworld until he actually reached the top. And like, you know, 20 feet before he reached the top, his doubts overtook him and he turned around to see if she was there and Hades took her back. So I like oh. this idea that you've got because what if Stamets does something in order to get his love released? Back. Yeah. yeah. Well, who knows? It's the only thing that makes sense for the, for, with that title, although this title didn't make any sense, so <laughs> not that I could figure out anyway. So. <laughs> any other thoughts before we wrap up? I don't think so. I think we hear everything. We do. So looking forward to this next one and talking about it with you. And we invite our listeners to join us as we explore the next episode and Oval Sharon. You can continue exploring the universe with Moms Going Boldly by following us on Facebook at facebook.com slash momsgoingboldly and on Twitter, at Moms Going Boldly. The music used on Moms Going Boldly is Without Limits by Ross Bugden Music. On Twitter, at Ross Bugden. Licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license, creativecommons.org.
Transfer complete.